and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove. I'm joined by a man who just watched USA versus Venezuela with me, and he's got some thoughts. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, I do indeed, and I can tell that you do too because uh, the level of joy dictates how happy yeah. you are. That was only a slightly happy introduction, which means that you are miserable. It's, it's it a less enthusiastic hello and welcome than people are used to. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Well, and did justifiably I mention, so. Did I mention that I just watched USA Venezuela? <laughs> Yikes. So we're going to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So USA lost 3-0 to yep. Venezuela in the final Gold Cup warm-up game, mm-hmm. if that's really what it was. I even have questions about that. As do I. Um, Rather than just complaining, which I know it's very tempting to do, we've kind of done that off air, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to try and analyze what went wrong. Yes. And we're going to think about how could it be fixed? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think to the extent that we can, that is the case. Um, I'll just say, like, basically, I've done shows before where it was not with you. It was after negative results, and it was me and another person, and it ended up just being kind of ranty. No one wants to hear two people just complain for the entire game, because that's why you have Arsenal Fan TV. You don't need (laughs) us to do that. Well, if you are looking for rants, think of this as a more focused kind of rant with a point. There'll be some rants in there, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get mad. All right, so 3-0 to Venezuela, all the goals in the first half. I mean, let's start with mm-hmm. what went wrong. Any sort of major, like, tactical or personnel-type things? Um, I mean, nothing, like, that jumped off the page aside from, like, I guess I'm starting off very negative by saying that, like, aside from that it wasn't a very inspiring lineup, that this was kind of what we thought it would be given injuries and trying to kind of rotate some players. But you and I both looked at this and we were like, well, okay, but we're missing. And then we listed four players who will probably end up as starters. Yeah. So and if, it was a lot of first-choice t- players in if this we're team. Gonna, if we're going to do Gold Cup starters, I yeah. think you would add, obviously, Pulisic. You yep. would have Tyler, add Tyler Adams. Mm-hmm. You would add Michael Bradley. And Josie Altidore yep. would start. And apart from that, this is basically the lineup, right? So it 7 of 11 way, yeah. feels like mostly the lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so seeing that and kind of knowing that like when you look at the, say, attacking subs that we did have coming off the bench. Yeah, Morris had, and Holmes came off the bench. Yeah, yeah. Mo- Morris and Holmes. And then Altidore was on the bench. He could come on. It just yeah. it didn't feel like a team that was necessarily... It didn't make me excited to watch. I wasn't like, this is going to be fun. It was okay. more of a like, okay, I'll watch this because we need to know what's going on. But let's think of it this way, right? Sure. Only four starters missing mm-hmm. the, the, to our calculations. Right. I think the problems were with the system okay. and the way that Greg Berhalter wants this team to play, mm-hmm. which I've mostly been in favor of until I saw it come up against this Venezuela team playing a 4-5-1 that made it difficult. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't adapt at all. Yeah. So I think I want to dig into the tactical thing of why... The Greg Berhalter 4-3-3 did not work against Venezuela. All right. And we talked about this during the game because I didn't quite understand what you were getting at. Neither did as, I, to be honest. It okay. started as a complaint, yeah. and I think you kept essentially interrogating me until you made me say something that made sense. <laughs> well, no, it was just – it was more like because like, you, you were technically right. Basically, you were just saying that like it feels like we have a lot of possession, but we're not – like, is that what we're what we're going for? Yeah. And and we kind of kept watching and kept kind of fine tuning it until I think you're correct that basically it was possession, but not necessarily the type of possession we wanted. So when we did have the ball, there wasn't really anything done with it. Yep. But I don't think that was the intent, obviously. I don't think it was just to keep the ball and frustrate Venezuela. Certainly that wasn't the case. No, it's supposed, to be, down. it's supposed to be to open them up. Exactly. Right? And that was the problem. And here's the big thing. Um, I think both of us on first watch were mm-hmm. very qu- critical Excuse me, yep. of Will Trapp. Yep. Um, I think you even tweeted something I said about Will Trapp is the man to pass the ball back to the center back. He is. Um, I mean, I still think it's part of the problem that maybe Will Trapp isn't uh, necessarily a very adventurous or Mm risk-taking passer. But I also think when we rewatched, we saw that he did not have many options, and that's not his fault. This is... Maybe going to be well, – whatever. I don't care. Uh, I think a lot of these – both of these friendlies have been about seeing the limitations of the current uh, 
like U.S. national team right the now. The system or the players? Yes, um, and and I think like, <laughs> I should and, have expected that. Answer. And and maybe, but like that, that's what it has been here. Is like yes, you're absolutely right. That rewatching again, a lot of this is not on Will Trap in to the degree that we thought it was. Yeah, but it is still it just on looks him. Looks like it is, but right? it is still on him a little bit. That like oh, if you want to be a national team captain playing at international level, you've got to be able to command your midfield to change. You've got to take that leadership. You've got to kind of take a more proactive role. And instead, this is the second game in a row where I feel like because it hasn't quite worked, he's shrunk from the occasion rather than risen to it. Okay, so before we get into Will Trash and the other midfielders, let's actually diagnose the problem that we saw. Okay. Right, okay. So as we said, Venezuela have a 4-5-1. That's how they set up three defensive central midfielders, Mm -hmm. essentially, right? It's what, Herrera, Rincon, Moreno. Um, we would have Will Trapp come deep, take the ball off of the centre-backs, and then the two midfielders ahead of him, the two number 10s, as Berhalter likes to call them, McKenney and Roldan, would position themselves behind the the defensive five, right? right? So the other side of the five. So it's literally Will Trapp with the ball, then five midfielders spread across in front of him, and two US players, um, two number 10s, mm-hmm. hoping to receive the ball. Yes. That math doesn't work. No, it doesn't. It does not work at all, right? Mm-mm. So what we needed is McKenney to come deep and like come be, literally come behind that line and come and show for the ball, or Roldan to come deep and come and show for that ball. Mm-hmm. But instead, they both stayed high, like just underneath Zardes, right? To, so they, they to, blocked themselves off. Yeah, to the extent that... As a conversation we've had before, when players do a thing every single time, to me that means that's what they've been told to do. Yes, I think that's definitely what they've been told to do. And I think maybe the idea is pull some of those central midfielders back or pull some of the defenders up because they get nervous about having kind of attackers in empty space. And so that leaves either space in behind for attackers to run onto. And the United States did go for long balls. Or it makes the midfield drop in, and then you have a little bit more time to advance the ball up the field. Instead, Venezuela mostly kept that line, and it seemed like the United States attackers, uh, McKinney and uh, Roldan, would would both instead kind of take the mindset of, okay, I've gotten into the space where I'm supposed to be, and now I'm here. Here's here's my problem with it. I think it's, I did what Greg told me to do, Mm -hmm. or Coach Greg (laughs) told me to do. And that should be enough. But instead, I think it should be more problem-solving of, okay, Trap can't break this line. I need to go back and show for him. And, and why this makes me, without going down the pathway of a rant, but why I find this so disheartening is because if we are going to play a more progressive, attacking, possession-based soccer that causes problems for defenses, you want to see progression. You want to see from game to game, okay, this didn't work last game. How have they addressed it? Okay, yeah. they've made it. The- and in this game, more so than any other game we've seen in the Burhalter era, admittedly a brief tenure, but still, like it was so much more static. And you and I would pause it and be like, okay, if this is a better possession team, there's much more rotation, there's much more movement, and this pass goes here, that player goes there, this player goes there, and now they've got two players wide open. Yeah. And instead, it would be when we'd hit play, the players would kind of stand there and wait for somebody else to move. And what ends up happening, to connect it back to the initial point, is then Will Trapp doesn't have any passes, so he turns and plays it back to a center back and yep. tries to get the ball so back So Longo Miazga gets it, and then they give it back to him, yep. and then Trapp looks up and repeats and repeats and repeats. Yeah. Here's another problem I have with this is we've talked a lot under the Greg Berhalter era about the uh, the right back role, mm-hmm. the Nick Lima role or the Tyler Adams role where you start at right back when the team has possession, you come and be an extra central midfielder. Nick Lima didn't do that today. I assume that was the instruction from Greg Berhalter. He instead went wide. Yep. 
And I think it, it needed to happen in this game because, mm-hmm. because Trapp would have had another midfielder to pass to to start unbalancing Venezuela a bit, right? rather than him facing three central midfielders and trying to get passes through. It, it or a line of five across. Yes, it didn't happen to the extent that it made me wonder if maybe after the Jamaica game he thought, okay, that is no longer going to be our second, like our secondary approach. Yeah, instead, three, it will two, be, four, instead it will just be a conventional two fullbacks who yeah. get forward intermittently. And he did, right? Lima did get yep. forward and get a lot crosses in I think that's kind of that was one of the useful avenues of attack but none of them resulted in goals and I think it also reminds you that you can't have both things no you can't have an overlapping fullback and have the right back be the extra central midfielder so you've got to like sacrifice one or the other yeah exactly and then that necessitates other changes so you can't then have just Will Trapp standing on the ball looking for passes it means he's probably got to give it to a center back he's probably got to get more involved the center backs have to take more ownership of possession and and move forward with it and create situations in which Venezuela feel uncomfortable because once they're uncomfortable yeah. they adjust what they're doing Zimmerman did it once I want yes to say. I think so but for the <laughs> most part I think maybe Miazga did it in the beginning but inevitably what they would look for was long diagonals mm-hmm. or long balls over the top instead of kind of line splitting balls to the extent that there were moments when uh, Miazga in the first half especially he had a couple times when Tyler Boyd did drop into space was kind of there but it would have required splitting two defenders in maybe like a five yard gap and you could just see that Miazga didn't want to do that he didn't want yeah. to take that risk it's risky right and what you because and I- possession is possession is like the prize thing yep. and possession often means mm-hmm. if you're only thinking possession then you're thinking about the safe ball exactly and the safe ball ends up going backwards and backwards and backwards and that was the that was the other kind of major problem I think it wasn't just a lack that's of movement that's how we get the first goal yes I mean, how, well, yes, how Venezuela get the first goal. Right. Yes. But isn't it that we, we end up getting forced backwards and backwards and backwards because yeah. we're making safe pass after safe pass after safe pass? Yeah. Um, do you want to get to this right now? Well, no, I just wanted to say that, like, so, but I think that that was, like, I just wanted to put, put a, yeah. I guess, an exclamation point on the end is that, like, instead, instead of making some of those risky passes and splitting the lines and making Venezuela uncomfortable, it was, I'm going to play it back to another center back. And you contrast that with what Venezuela did. And a couple of their goals come from, let's play the ball through. Let's ha- dribble a little bit out of pressure yeah. and then play fast passes and see what happens. Oh, okay. But yes, now let's get to the Venezuela goals. Okay, so the very first goal mm-hmm. is the Zach Steffen mistake. Yes. Right? But before we get to that, which yep. is definitely worth talking about, it starts with the U.S. have possession and it's Will Trapp. Yep. And maybe if McKenney had come and shown a little bit more or if Trapp had taken an extra touch out of pressure, we could have progressed that ball through central midfield. Instead, he goes back to Matt Miazga. Mm. Matt Miazga then, under a bit of pressure, doesn't want to take on anybody and goes back to Zach Steffen. Yes. That's how we end up with Zach Steffen with the ball at his feet basically on his goal line. Yes. And I want to pause there to go back to Trap having that ball because this is where I say, like, Weston McKinney could have dropped in, like, ten, two yards, not 10 yards, two yards closer to his mm-hmm. own goal and maybe just shouted a little bit louder for that ball. And I just think Trap... the angle up and demand yeah. the ball. And yeah. I think Trap plays that ball. And then down the United States have played out of pressure. Venezuela have committed numbers forward, so now you've like bypassed four or five players right there, mm-hmm. and you can turn and go. So that instead ball, of bypassing, we backpass exactly. But I think <laughs> so. That's McKinney not showing and not being aggressive enough in his movement to show. But it's also Will Trap, who I think a better central midfielder controls that, tries to take a little yep. bit of touch to pull the defender in, and then like play a reverse pass. To give a very extreme example, mm-hmm. I watched England-Netherlands in the Nations League semi-final. Yeah. Frankie de Jong is like yep. the, the primo version mm-hmm. of what we want Will Trapp to be. Yeah. Right? A passing number six who can make things happen. He would have dribbled out of pressure and found a pass. Yeah, and exactly. And made himself available for the return pass. It's not fair because Will Trapp is not Frankie de Jong, Mm-mm. but the... 
they're almost I'm worried that they're almost on two ends of the spectrum as opposed to like Trap being in the middle of the spectrum and De Jong being on the, the extra good side. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's fair. But I think it, it, it's also like we, we had a vague military analogy you and I did about like going over the trench. Sort oh, of. yeah, yeah. But like it, it applies here that like if if you're waiting and waiting and waiting and you're always playing it safe, you have to have aggressiveness of action at some point. And if it's Trap saying, I don't really want to make that like that kind of risky pass into the middle, even though it's not really that risky at all because there's tons of space, yeah. I'll drop it back to Miazga. Miazga now thinks, I don't want to take a risk either, even though that ball is still maybe on, it's slightly less on than it was with Trap. So I'll drop it back further. And now it goes back to Zach Steffen. This does not let him off the hook at all. No, we'll get you, to that in a second. But you can see how the safe pass every time, it makes it harder and harder to play yep. what was an easy ball to begin with. I think when you make the safe pass, it's like you're passing on responsibility. Exactly. And then there's more pressure on the next person and more pressure on the next person. Exactly. Until you end up with Zach Steffen with the ball at his feet. However, when Zach Steffen has the ball yep. at his feet, he should have just launched it clear or played it wide. Mm-hmm. I think what he tried to do, you spotted this, he is looking for Western McKenna, yeah. right? And he's trying to play it down an alley of, that's made up of like three Venezuelan players to mm-hmm. the left and right. He's trying to play it right down the middle, but he also needs to put a bit of bend on it to get around them and get it to McKenna. And he just underhits it, mishits it. It, it does not go to, uh, it does not go to Western and, McKenna. And in a, in a somewhat damning statement, I would say that this pass, like the, like the two players that he tries to split, is a tighter gap than what Miazga earlier had said. No, nah, I don't really want to play yeah. that down. So like, that's it. They forced that pressure on Stefan a little bit, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so I understand what Stefan is looking for. I think Alexi Lalas made the point that like, if you want a team that's going to play possession and build out of the back, you're going to run to these issues. At least I believe that's the, the point he was making. And I would disagree with that to some extent because, yes— you, if you do want to do that, you maybe take some risks, but it, it also you doesn't have to mean take crazy risks. You also, exactly, you don't have yeah. to have a devotion to like unless mm-hmm. it's Pep Guardiola there who's going to make you run for ten miles if you don't do it. Yeah, you can kick that ball on. Also, Pep Guardiola gets to work with his goalkeeper and team also that. week in, week out, every day on this stuff. Yeah, right? Greg Berhalter does not have that advantage of time with the U.S. men's national team. Yes. All right. So to quickly talk through this goal, as Stefan tries to play it to McKenney, it's picked off mm-hmm. by our old friend Yangel Herrera. Yep. Um, Herrera makes a very clever pass into Severino who's like up on Stefan Severino lays it off um, and then Solomon Rondon is able to Mm -hmm. finish Greg Berhalter said at half time this goal was offside and he was right he was right yeah Severino's offside he definitely is. All I can figure is that when the ball goes back to Stefan, uh, Miazga and Aaron Long, the two center backs, spread wide the way you would in this type of system so that you can be uh, outlets. Yeah. Long certainly doesn't drop back far enough to uh, keep um, uh, Severino, on side? Severino yeah. on side. Yeah, we double checked, right? All, yeah. So all I can figure is that maybe what he does do is, and this isn't his fault if it's the case, but all I can figure is that he does do is maybe drop into a point where the AR can't see it as clearly. Uh-huh. And so it looks like, oh yeah, they're, they're level when that ball is played, even though they're so definitely not. Yeah, I mean, VAR, we would have got this uh, yes. call back, mm-hmm. I think. But we went into this knowing there's no VAR. Yep. And we went to this knowing that your goalkeeper can't pass straight to midfielders. So yes, it was offside. It does not excuse what happened. It does not. And the other thing that's very... Very telling, I would say, about the current state of this national team. And it's not a thing that I've ever really, really put too much stake in, but maybe that's because I thought it was just kind of there, is heart and effort. And I'm not saying that, like, yeah, it's got to show some heart and they just got to run around. But it's it's slightly damning to me that no one calls for offside on this. All the players are weird, just right? heads down, kind of blaming each other. Stefan runs out and kind of yells at McKinney. We'd have been screaming for offside. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And, and only because one person for the third <laughs> goal, I believe it is, where they're, uh, they're offside again, it's Rondon offside. Yeah. Only Tim Ream angrily calls for offside. Mm-hmm. 
side and everybody else again looks dejected. And it's just that sort of the lack of fight, the lack of spirit, the lack of intensity that I think we've come to expect from the U.S. national team years ago, I think yep. in the last two years, has slightly fallen off. Can we focus on Stefan for a second? Sure. This is the second time in two games, yep. right? This happened against Jamaica, but mm-hmm. we got away with it. Does this worry you going into the Gold Cup? 100%. Like, I see this as a thing that could happen during the Gold Cup. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, one time is a fluke. Two times might be, yeah. uh, like, precedent. On, I don't know. Shame on you, right? Yes, exactly. Fool me twice, shame on you. Yeah. Uh, don't get you. Fool, d- fool me three times and we've lost to Guyana. Don't get shamed again or fooled again or something <laughs> like that, I think, to quote our next president. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a worrying thing because it's Stefan either being too confident or too erratic in his decision-making, and I'm not sure which is worse. I love a goalkeeper to pass out of the back, yeah. but you've got to know when it's a risk worth mm-hmm. taking and when it's an impossible pass. The one yep. against Jamaica, I can't remember who the Jamaican player was, but he was like right in his face. Yep. The pass was just not on at all. No. I would know not to make that pass. I, 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 yes, I think you definitely would, for sure. I'm not sure I would, but you definitely <laughs> would. But also the way he comes, out, the way he comes out and yells at <laughs> McKenney, we went back and watched thinking like, okay, there must be something. And yes, maybe he can move a little bit more. Maybe he can. But it's not this like he's just standing there looking away. or Like it's it's not that on. Yeah. And even if it were, it's not on at all. even if it were, it's worth noting he doesn't split the two defenders the way he needed to. It yeah. goes straight to a Venezuelan player. Herrera. And who, Herrera. Who plays it first time. It's not like Herrera takes a touch and takes a touch and McKinney could have made a defensive play. Mm-hmm. So to me, it just feels like Stefan... Very angry in the moment, but also sort of like, I've made a mistake and this needs to not be my fault. All right, should we get to the second goal? Sure. Um, since it all comes kind of quick, right? Mm-hmm. The second goal is in the 30th minute. Yep. It's Savarino. Oh, this is the one where essentially Matt Miazga tracks Solomon Rondon yep. out, loses the header. Aaron Long tracks um, Savarino backwards and deep. Mm-hmm. So we end up with what, like a 20-yard split between our two centre-backs? Yep. One forward and one backwards? Mm-hmm. Rondon obviously wins the flick on because he's gigantic and even Miazga should know that maybe you don't back yourself against Rondon to but win also, balls in the air. But also if you don't put anybody in front of him, which I think was the point Stu Holden was making, yeah. you front and follow. You put one in front to disrupt, you put one in behind to yeah. challenge, make him uncomfortable, maybe think, win the ball. I think Holden was saying essentially Miazga should have passed, passed yeah. Rondon off to Will Trapp yep. so that Miazga could stay as part of the back four, yes. which is all, I think front and follow or passing him off mm-hmm. is much, much better than getting dragged out of position. Yeah. Do you think it was a case of being scared of Rondon? So Miazga just thinks, I've got to follow him, I've got to try and win this header? I think because uh, yes. I've done that as a defender I'm like okay that's my responsibility I'm the only guy that can win this I'll go with it and I don't think I don't think about how I've just left my position I've left a massive hole behind me well I don't think it's that I'm the only one who can deal with this because it's also the case that Aaron Long uh, overly follows Rondon for the third goal so that's I think, I think yeah. it's probably the, the two centre backs have been told he is a beast in the air do not let him win the ball comfortably you've always got to put pressure on him and I think that's why they're that much more attuned to what he's doing mm-hmm. But I want to pause here to say that, again, it's U.S. fight and spirit and intensity comes into play here, not just because like they don't win the header, but because, go back and watch, Venezuela take this throw-in. It's from a throw-in. They take it 15 yards up the field from where the ball goes out of bounds. That's true. Which is a minor thing. It happens all the time. But if you are alert to that— It goes out in one half, and they take it in the attacking it half. It literally goes out to yeah. the point where the Venezuela coach goes to get it from his bench, and when he turns around, they're taking the throw-in in front of the United States bench. A minor thing, but if you're the left back or if you're any American player— who sees them walk up the field and take? You, you would scream. You and I would yeah. yell, "Hey, ref, that's got to be further." You would back. step in the thrower's face and Ex- stop it. Happening. Exactly, yeah. and no one does that. Again, yeah. it's just a lot of like, oh, "Okay, things are happening," and it's it's 
it's sort of like being so focused on reacting that you're always reacting. Like you're yeah. always trying to put out fires but never thinking about maybe just don't let them have the matches in the first place. And I think that, that also applies to what Aaron Long does because mm-hmm. Severino would have been offside from this rundown flick if Aaron Long hadn't followed him deep. I would have let him run offside yep. and then, then he's offside. Yeah, right? exactly. Instead he goes deep with him. And and gets beat, so Severino is in on Stefan, right? I think isn't this the one that hits the post and then Severino gets the rebound? Yeah. I mean oh. and, and I don't really put any blame on Stefan there. I also like it's always easy in slow motion when the ball comes off the post because you see all the players kind of reacting to it. I, I've said it before, I think that always favors the attacker because they're already sort of in that mode, whereas the defenders are watching to see what happens. So I have a hard time faulting anybody for not making a strong play on yeah. on it after the goal. That's fair. But in the lead-up to it, certainly a lot more could have been done and a lot more alertness to positioning could have uh, been implemented. All right, before we get to the ad break sure. and maybe how we would fix things, mm-hmm. we might as well do the third goal because it comes pretty fast. Right? This is the Salomon Rondon goal mm-hmm. where he basically gets the other side of Aaron Long. Aaron Long gets the right side of him mm-hmm. and then Rondon just falls in with a little cut and a bang of a left foot yeah. in the top corner. But again, this goal starts uh, way, way back, right? It, it does. It starts with a failed US press. It, yes, and... and Let's go there then first. I don't, okay. I don't want to take us off on a, on a different tangent for a moment. But yeah, it is the United States trying to win the ball back. I think thinking that they've put Venezuela in a position where they're, yep. they're kind of passing backwards. Their lines are a little bit uh, disorganized. People are out of position. Now is the time to try to get them. But it's the United States sending people forward intermittently so that like when Aaron Long does enter the fray, it sort of is after a bunch of already players have stepped forward. Yeah. Not Tim blaming Aaron, all the way up there. Yeah, think, yeah. not necessarily blaming, blaming Aaron Long for that, but just to say that like it's not as though everybody is attuned to it and everybody goes at once mm-hmm. and suddenly there's a bunch of numbers there and Venezuela are suffocated. And it's the guy that took the throw in mm-hmm. too far up the field and got away with it, Rosales, yeah. the right back. It's also Rosales that essentially breaks the US press because when it starts coming, he essentially just does one bit of like dribbling acceleration and then a nice pass infield mm-hmm. and he's broken the entire thing wide open right yeah i mean it's good stuff from azales and the point that i was gonna make is that a number of times in this game i found myself thinking this is how it used to be in reverse it used to be the (laughs) united states bunkering and being not that exciting but doing a very strong defensive job and then when this when the situation's on break on spain and brazil and the confederations exactly i mean and that's what this goal looked like it looked like a team that was sort of Pull them in. Okay, now they're they've they're committed to forward. There's one slight opportunity on, and we've practiced and worked together enough that we can ping, 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 ping. And it is. I think I've got it as Rosales to Savarino, Savarino to Rosales again, Rosales to Herrera, Herrera to Rincon, Rincon to Rondon, goal. And it's Rincon, bang, 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 bang. Rincon clips it over the top. Yeah, right. And it's quick passes. It is Rondon offside. We can talk about that. But only it's, slightly though, right? Not enough that we can really complain about it. Yeah. And. And it's not a good enough excuse, essentially. No, and, yeah. and it's much more so to me, this is where Aaron Long is at fault because he has gone yes. forward tracking Rondon when the ball goes like central and away from from the uh, from that moment. Like you see Aaron Long start to drift back. He's aware that Rondon is there, but he sort of was like, oh, that ball's not going to go back Switches to him. Switches off for like, it's yep. like a second and a half, right? Yep. It's almost nothing. It's the blink of it. It's maybe two blinks of an eye. Mm-hmm. But by the time Rondon is charging forward, you see Long do yeah. it like a quick look and like, oh no, he's got away. And he's, he never – he does actually catch up because he's faster than Rondon, mm-hmm. but doesn't catch up enough to make it hard – to get to the ball first, essentially. Yeah. And this is why Rondon has the scoring opportunity. Yep. Oh, yeah. So it, it, was, it was sort of the United States being exposed for all of these sort of mistakes in mentality and lack of sharpness really all kind of coming together for – a third goal, and suddenly the United States is 3-0 down inside of, what, 36 minutes? They're yeah, about. they are. All right, so before we try and fix all our problems, sure. should we take a break? Let's do it. For today's first ad from our friends 
That's SeatGeek. 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 Thank you for sponsoring today's show, SeatGeek. I would agree. SeatGeek, longtime sponsors. They make buying and selling tickets to any type of live event far more easier than it's ever been, Mr. Grove. And if you want to go to, uh, what, a comedy show, a music show, anything like that, mm-hmm. you can trust the SeatGeek ticket. We when always you buy a start- ticket via SeatGeek, it's the real deal. We always start listing, and then we instantly panic, both of us. So it's a comedy, <laughs> sports, well, whatever I, you want. I think it's good for us to get out there that it's not just all soccer on yeah. SeatGeek. It's all kinds of live events, because mm-hmm. we always end up recommending a soccer event. Yeah. So say you were going to buy tickets to, the, to a Gold Cup match. Yeah. For the, for the U.S. and now you're thinking, I don't know if I can subject myself to that. <laughs> there are many, many, many other types of shows out there that you can buy tickets to. Wait, did you find any? <laughs> I mean, no. I was looking up Gold, Gold Cup. <laughs> I've been looking up, uh, yeah, like the various competitions, the various ranges of prices there. But yeah, it's worth noting there are tickets to say maybe you you want to like watch Mexico play. Maybe that's the way to go. <laughs> so you're uh, recommending non-U.S. tickets? No, for I, I I think. Um, there, might I think be people, there might be people selling their tickets on SeatGeek right now. There may be. I, I would not espouse uh, like abandoning the U.S. national team. I yeah. would instead say maybe maybe double down, but then you know feel justified in booing if things don't go well. <laughs> well, how about um, once you've once you've used SeatGeek, yeah. um, if you wanted to get ten dollars off mm-hmm. because you think you deserve ten dollars off because you shouldn't have to pay full price to watch the U.S. men's national team, is there a way we could do that with SeatGeek Taylor? He said knowing the answer full well. I figured you did. Uh, yes, listeners could use the promo code. TSS for $10 off their first purchase. Uh, you can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. That's promo code TSS for $10 off your first purchase. Remember, SeatGeek supports us, so you could support SeatGeek. There we are. Support SeatGeek. Yeah, and support the U.S. national team, even when things look bad. All right. So things did look <laughs> bad. Uh, before we get to in, into how we'd fix it, I did want to say there were two things that I thought were worth mentioning as somewhat positive. Yeah. Um, one is a player whose name I don't think we've even mentioned yet, but I did want to talk about briefly. It's Jossie Zardes, because he is one who, again, when I saw the lineups, I was not particularly thrilled. I have no animosity towards Jossie Zardes. It's just we haven't seen Josie Altador in a while. I was excited to see him and see what else he brings to the table. Rewatching it, I thought Jossie Zardes was a player who was pretty mobile, did a good job of dropping in and trying to find space, came back and won the ball on a couple of occasions. System-wise, it felt wrong, right? That he had to be the guy that came deeper than McKenney and rolled down. Like, Mm -hmm. almost, he broke through, he backwards broke through the Venezuelan lines. It's like he he broke into prison. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To receive the ball in his own half. And then... I mean, I don't know, something about that felt wrong because it meant someone else should have been doing it and Zardes should have been higher causing more trouble. True, very yeah. true. Uh, it speaks well of him that he made that effort to come and show for the ball. But there were, there were multiple occasions when you would get like a very wide angle, such as it was of the field, yeah. uh, that you would see the U.S. with like four defenders back, then Will Trap, then a whole bunch of space, and then five players kind of standing in a line. Yeah. And the only one who I saw routinely really darting in, Tyler Boyd did it to some extent, but Jossie Zardes did a lot of dropping in and trying to find space. So I enjoyed that. And then... I'm going to double down and say that I enjoyed Dwayne Holmes. And I think yes. what he brought in into the team, he brought a liveliness. He brought a, a lot of movement. We saw him actually finding space. And we saw the energy. We saw the frustration yes. of, no, don't play it backwards. Why aren't you there? This needs yeah. to be here. That's the type of presence I want. I, I didn't like the sort of like, ah, I guess it's just the way it goes. As long as I'm not at fault, I'll just keep passing the ball. Yep. You're like – not literally, but very figuratively passing the buck. What we've seen, so it's basically two 30-minute performances we've seen from Dwayne Holmes for yep. the U.S. national team, right, against Jamaica and against Venezuela. And I take Bobby Walshaw's point from the last show that we haven't seen that much of him, so we can't fully judge him. Mm-hmm. But I've seen two 30-minute performances for the U.S., and I want more. Yeah. Because he's the guy that seems to me will 
one, accelerate out of pressure and, you know, open something up and then play a somewhat risky ball and then make a move afterwards as well to yeah. be available for the next pass. Um, I've seen him charge people down. I, I just think that he brings a sort of the life to the central midfield that was lacking for the first 60 minutes of both games. Yep. Jamaica and Venezuela. And I'm going to go way over the top now to go to like, like we've talked about like stories of like when players are first signed, how the veterans on those teams will test them by like driving the ball at them as hard as they can to see how the players yeah. kind of respond to There's it. There's a great um, Peter Crouch podcast about yeah. this where he said when he joined Liverpool, right, yeah. it was the first big, 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 big club. Mm-hmm. He'd been at, he'd been at like, Portsmouth and Villa and stuff before. And his first practice session, Gerard would slam balls into his feet looking for the layoff because Gerard likes to have a layoff and shoot and uh, essentially Crouch couldn't do it yeah. to begin with but Gerard kept doing it until Crouch got good at it and then that became a Liverpool thing there you go yeah. and, and sorry I just wanted to tell that story no, it's, a good, it's a good story and, and I guess the reason why I'm happy you told it is because I saw moments where Dwayne Holmes would work to win the ball back and he would play a fairly driven ball but it was a line splitting ball yeah. uh, the one that stands out uh, Roldan yes is into mm-hmm. the feet of Roldan who it popped up in the air and you could see him get angry yep. and it wasn't a like whirl around in frustration and walk away but it was definitely like that's gotta be better yep. and that's what I want that's, that's what you it, want on the national team yeah, right? yeah because it does need to be better and I will say Christian Roldan had a, had a very poor game in my opinion. Yeah, there were a lot of misplaced passes and especially um, just situations like you just yeah. described where the ball would go into him and he would either be too slow, like take too many touches and slow the whole thing down or would lose possession. Yep. Yeah, I was very frustrated with Christian Roldan yeah. this game. Roldan and Ariola had uh, particularly poor Ooh, games. Maybe maybe the worst game I've seen from Paul Ariola. I love Ariola's work rate, right? mm-hmm. but this is a game where just everything, nothing came off for nope. him at all. Right? <laughs> Including two different shooting opportunities. Yeah. yeah, or three different shooting opportunities, actually. So I, I just enjoyed, to go back to it, I enjoyed Dwayne Holmes demanding more of his teammates yes. and expecting more. Yeah, we want to see more of that, right? Yeah. Do you think there's a problem of sort of leadership, essentially? In 100%, the, there isn't, 100%. There isn't someone on the field demanding more of everybody? Yeah. Is this, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean this to be a leading question, but is this a creation, is this a Berhalter-created problem? There was, I saw the press conference where he talked uh, about, we haven't selected a full-time captain yet. We want to give different people uh, chances to show leadership. That's why you've seen Tim Ream with the armband. You've seen... Uh, Aaron Long with the armband. You've seen Will mm-hmm. Trap with the armband. It's just been rotated around and rotated around, right? Uh, I think it's a Kuva problem, to be honest. I, I think it's a problem of not qualifying for the World Cup means not only are, do you not have the World Cup, so not only do people lose that unvaluable experience and you can bring like new faces through in meaningful matches, but I think it's also that there is there's a reason why people... People were never like there were people out there who were never big fans of Michael Bradley. There yeah. are significantly more of them after the United States failed to qualify because Michael Bradley and Josie Altador were kind of faces of that failure to qualify. Yeah. So, and I say that to say that so there's some veteran players who have been involved in the team who I think now there is an, an element of do we look to them? Is there going to be a stink around that? Do we want to bring other people through? And that's why we didn't see Bradley called in and Josie called in for at least a couple games there. And I think so that if you kind of remove some of that old guard from the equation, then you literally have to look at the new guard and you have to see who can do it. And then, yes, I think it does become a Burhalter thing of, well, we're not sure. We haven't had everybody in there. Well, we don't necessarily know if we want to have this person in there right now. And so I think the kind of past situation that led to Berhalter being hired factors into it, but then also some of the decisions since then, I think, have led to situations like today where nobody seems entirely comfortable being the one to step forward and get vocal. All right, Dwayne Holmes for captain. Fine. Maybe one day. Somebody for maybe captain. One day. Somebody How about that? For ca- I would like a, a permanent captain before the Gold Cup starts next mm-hmm. week. Yeah, maybe. That'd be fine. <laughs> that'd be nice. Um, okay, before we get into fixing problems, I keep saying we're going to do it. Um, what did you make of Tyler Boyd's debut? 
Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I he did. got like an arrow or so, right? He did. Uh, I thought they were, I mean, from from what we were able to see of him attacking, which was in like maybe the first 10 minutes, again, is when the United States, I thought, looked the most on the front foot. Yeah. They, that was when we did see a few line splitting passes. Was it like 70% possession U.S. in the I th- first I think it was 70, yeah, something like that. It was like 77% possession for the U.S. in the first 15, I think, even after the goal or wow. 16. Um, but And so I thought he was okay. I thought there were you could definitely see – some of the lack of familiarity where he would like look around and then go and like sprint 15 yards. Yeah. And that wasn't just like sprinting 15 yards to show. It was sort of the like, oh, wait, Nick Lima's is there. Then I need to be here. Oh, I better get there. And then mm-hmm. he would run. But I think overall, I thought he did well. And I think at a, in a game when there were a lot of people whose stock went down and who I did not enjoy, he doesn't stand out in a negative way, which yeah. I feel like might be a positive. I also saw um, yesterday's press conference where Bellhalter said mm-hmm. um, that basically Boyd isn't fully fit and would play limited minutes. So mm-hmm. we were seeing a Boyd at least slightly reduced from full fitness. But this leads me on to a bigger point about this whole this whole roster. Mm-hmm. It seems like there are a bunch of injury problems. Yep. Yeah. Have you, like this is, I feel like it's not talked about much, but um, Bradley, like the reason he hasn't played against Jamaica and Venezuela is that he's not fully fit. Tyler Adams is coming in late because um, he needed a rest. Christian Pulisic's only just joined the squad because he's coming in late. Josie Altidore apparently was carrying something, so that's why he only played 45 mm-hmm. minutes today and not at all against Jamaica. Jassy Zardes also was, what, a late scratch yep. um, against Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we suddenly have all kinds of injury problems. Yes, which I would not have been so worried about before the Jamaica game. You you asked me that, yeah. like, are you... Do you think it's weird at all that like Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic just aren't with the team? And I was like, yeah, yeah I mean, it's fine. It's we're giving them a break, and we're getting like more people, more minutes. And that's the case if you win and everybody stays healthy. But if you lose both games four nil aggregate, aggregate yeah, and yeah. and have a couple injuries coming out of it, then those questions do become a bit more head scratcher to me. It feels to me like these two games, Jamaica and Venezuela, have been used as almost just training camp games. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we'll just get some players some fitness, give this guy 45 minutes, this guy 45 minutes, and we'll be ready for the Gold Cup against Guyana. Yeah. But that really, really scares me because mm-hmm. now there hasn't been a full like run out with the actual eleven. Uh, and there hasn't been like you haven't seen any progression of the system, right? The, mm-hmm. the great battle. If anything, it's gone backwards. In that, it's we've been doing something that looks like it, but really ineffectively. So now I'm suddenly very worried about what happens against Guyana. Yeah, I think, and I think that's justified because to your earlier question about who who should be the permanent captain, or like if they were going to appoint a permanent captain, I have no idea who it would be because I think the answer might have been Will Trap heading into these games. Like he he played consistently, he had captained. I think that was maybe. Yeah. Who it would have been, but he has looked bad in these two games. We talked about some of the reasons why, but I think he didn't help himself. And so, like, once you lose that a little bit, like, I, I don't know who you look to to be those players who come in and lead the attack and make things happen. And it, it makes me more concerned than I was, for sure. Okay, so mm-hmm. Gold Cup starts for the U.S. Tuesday, June 18th yep. against Guyana. The other opponents in the group are Panama and Trinidad and Tobago. Those are not easy, easy games, nope. right? I don't know much about Ghana. We will do before, right? When I mean, it's, our, it's safe to say that all three of them are going to be defensive. Yes. So this is what I was getting at. Like the the four five one that Venezuela massively frustrated the U.S. with. Let's assume we're up against a version of that against Guyana and probably against Panama, mm-hmm. I, I would say. Yep. I've seen Panama do that before. How would we fix all these problems? Essentially, what would be our starting lineup is maybe a good way to think of it. Yeah. Um, okay. would, you, would you still go Zach Stefan in goal, even with the Jamaica and Venezuela mistakes? I think I would. I th- okay. I, I think so. Would you give him a talking to beforehand? I would, yes. <laughs> um, and and th- this is where I'll say, like, this is me speaking as me, as yeah. opposed to Greg Berhalter, because the reality is 
I don't know if Sean Johnson and Tyler Miller would be better with their feet. I remember Sean Johnson not looking so good with his feet this yeah. season. So in terms of those three yeah, this options. one very specific moment. Yes. Right? Yeah. So in terms of those three options, I don't necessarily know that one of them is like, oh, he can definitely pass out of the back and look way better than the other three. Yeah. So I'm inclined to say, yeah, you stick with Stefan. Long term, it, it made me – this has made me worry a little bit. Yeah. But we haven't seen him look – necessarily like at fault in his shot stopping or his positioning when it comes to the goals so i'm a little bit more okay with it are we a little concerned with belter appearing to have favorites because i would argue that like stefan like do you remember the belter his halftime analysis was not yeah Yeah, he basically said oh when you try to play at the back that happens as opposed to thinking that's twice in two games that he's given up massive goal scoring opportunities yeah and i wonder about like the Zardes over Sargent thing, which you and I haven't talked about. You and Bobby got into it deeply, so I don't want to rehash it. But mm-hmm. I wonder if some element of Behalter thinking Zardes is ahead of Sargent is just that he knows Zardes' game better because he spent the year with him at mm-hmm. Columbus. Maybe Will Trapp gets more opportunities than um, than some other players at that number six spot because he's Behalter's guy. Maybe Omar Gonzalez That's, is on the roster. That, that, that strangely is exhibit A, I think. The Gonzalez thing. Yeah. So, yeah, the, thing I, the thing I read, I, I should probably confirm this before I start on the show, but I'm pretty confident in this, is that when Bearhalter joined the LA Galaxy as, an, as a veteran, yep. right, he came back and joined Galaxy, Omar Gonzalez, I believe, was his roommate. Mm-hmm. And because uh, they played the same position, Bearhalter kind of mentored Gonzalez a little bit. So I think there's a connection there between those guys, mm-hmm. which kind of explains why Omar Gonzalez was brought back in when, let's say, guys of a similar... A uh, generation like Matt yeah. Beasley were not. Yeah. Right? And we, I will say Gonzalez was okay against Jamaica, right? But it starts to worry me that Berhalter just has people that he knows better, that he's more willing to put faith in. Um, and then Dwayne Holmes only gets 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, I take your point. Or just Sergeant is off the roster. I, like the halftime one I struggle with because on the one hand, it, it seemed a little bit like he was sort of like, oh, you know, these things happen. It's like, no, well, they shouldn't. And also <laughs> they've happened twice now. But it, it may also be the case that like while you and I have a more – like if that were our team, I think we would be frustrated, but we also wouldn't necessarily go into halftime and scream at the goalkeeper. We'd be like, "Hey, it's got to be a little bit better." Yeah, yeah. And I think he probably doesn't want to completely bury Zach Steffen at a time when his confidence is probably low. Fair, that's fair. Yeah, I do think though that when you have the goalkeeper visibly screaming at another player, you probably need to do something about that mm-hmm. because somebody looks at fault there. Yeah. So that's that's a little bit of an aside. But and even with Stefan screaming at McKenney, yeah. it still looks like Stefan's at fault. It does. It does. <laughs> uh, so. So w- w- the question was then, like, what would I like to see in terms of starting 11 in terms yeah, of formation? So, so essentially, what I think what I'm arguing for or setting up to argue for is less preferential treatment yeah. for Bellhalter's guys, right, when we're, when we're going in here. Yeah, I... I, which, I, mean, I which means to me, like, Bradley should start if he's fit over trap. 100%. Yeah. I mean, if that doesn't happen, I would be surprised. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I am... Uh, maybe just because it's easier right now, I'm glad to say, like, I'm not as concerned about personnel. I think the bigger thing for me is what those personnel do. Uh, because if it doesn't really matter who you put in there, if they're standing static behind a line of defenders, yeah. it's not going to change the result. So I think what I would much prefer to see is some obvious signs that the United States has worked towards having more possession with intent, possession with purpose. Um, And that's what I would want to see. That's what I would want to work on were I in charge. Okay. Uh, Let's let's maybe reconstruct this midfield because that seems to be part of the problem, Mm -hmm. right? So would you say Bradley, Pulisic, McKenney? 
Would you be happy with that starting three going into the Gold Cup against Guyana? I'm not trying to be difficult. It's like it it it, it isn't about that for me. It's not okay. about like who goes in there because again, if it's those two just standing there waiting for the ball, it doesn't do anything. What I would happily see that midfield, but I would want that midfield to be like I'm looking for what I will be looking for in that first game against Guyana is are are the midfielders dropping in? Are they providing lateral yeah. support for Will Trap? And if that's what you want, honestly, yeah. I would go Holmes over McKenney. Yeah, based I think on so. based on the evidence of what I've seen, and I'm a big, yeah. big, big, big McKenny fan. I, I really, it's it's not just because it's like recency bias and Bobby Warshaw has polluted my brain, but it is the case <laughs> that it, especially given what the limitations we saw today were with some of the movement and like the lack of decision making in midfield, I do think I'm I'm on board with him now. If like if you're going to do that right back into center midfield. Put Weston McKinney there, yeah. put Tyler Adams as your six, move Christian Pulisic out wide because wide attack was a big problem for the United States today. It would be an upgrade on the Pulisic. And start Dwayne Holmes. Right? And I think that that makes sense. Except now I think I've taken both midfielders out. So then we still need a number 10. <laughs> I'm not sure what you do there. I guess Christian Rodan's back in. Yeah, probably. <laughs> mm, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe we play Pulisic Central. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, right. and that is sort of... Once you start moving pieces around, inevitably you're going to leave yourself with like, ooh, but I have not put in a left midfielder. Like, but so, I, I think I'm with you that mm-hmm. maybe this this performance yeah. and the, trying to play this system suggests to me that maybe there should at least be the consideration of some sort of shaker. Yeah. I'm sure Berhalter will argue mm-hmm. we've got to stay the course, don't panic, keep working on our system, keep doing the thing. But it might be time to put someone else at number six, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's McKenney or Adams or someone else. Look, I, and I understand why he says that. I understand why he says it's going to take time. There's going to be patience. We've got to try different things. We want to get everybody comfortable. I understand why certain people in the media are going to say that same thing and echo those statements. It doesn't mean that people need to do it. And that's kind of the reality is that they can ask for that, but the U.S. Soccer Federation has not earned patience. That's not a thing sure. that they deserve just because they are. Mm-hmm. And so – while I understand that that would be useful for the U.S. national team to lose 3-0 but still get cheered because you're our team, that's not the goodwill that they've like created. Instead, yeah. they've created a feeling of, are things getting better? Because it feels like maybe they're <laughs> not. And I think they've got to prove that. So I think that's the other thing I would want to see is intent that things are getting better. Here's a major thing I would like to see mm-hmm. that I think would make things better. When we don't have the ball and we collapse into that 4-4-2, yep. um, I get that when it's 0-0 or you're 1-0 ahead, and it's quite a like, mid-to-low block that we sit in, right? It's kind of compact and tight, and it's meant to be make us hard to get through. When we're losing, that needs to go, Yep. right? When we were 1-0 down to Jamaica with 15 minutes to go, mm-hmm. we should not have been sitting in a 4-4-2 and letting them come at us. When we're 3-0 down to Venezuela, we should not be sitting in a 4-4-2 and letting them come at us. I would like to see well, can I, can a I, second or third gear where we go press and try and win the ball back. 100% agree. I just wanted to interject for a moment to say that like you're absolutely right, and for like... It's maybe obvious, but it's worth reiterating that, like, number one, yeah, because we're losing. So sitting yes. back isn't doing it. But also number two is that if we're losing, the other team is winning. And the other team is therefore not going to be inclined to just throw the ball forward the way they would have been yeah. to get that lead. Right. So in the end, you're not preparing for anything useful because you're sitting off and the other two- team is sitting off. It doesn't actually help you get better at either thing. So my hope yeah. – th- tell me if I'm being too optimistic here. My hope is that – even though we were 1-0 down to Jamaica and 3-0 down to Venezuela, the reason that Berhalter seemed happy to keep the players in the sort of lowish block, four, mid to low block 4-4-2 and not go chasing the ball too much is because we were just practicing that system as opposed to trying to win that game. But do you see what I'm is saying, Is that okay though? or not? No, but do you see, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying, is that you're practicing a system against a team that isn't actually trying to play anymore. Right. So they're not really they're just like, fine, you guys sit back. We'll keep the ball with our center backs. We're winning. Yeah. Like, you need to come get the ball. So you're practicing a system against a team that And maybe you should practice chasing changed... a game properly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like that you're not actually practicing for a team that's going at you. 
you're practicing for a team that's never ever going to be particularly attacking. Right. So it doesn't end up accomplishing any of the goals. So I think what I'm saying is that I'm hoping that if we're somehow one 0 down to yeah. Guyana and it's half time. We go out in the second half with yeah. a let's hunt this down and win the ball. Oh yeah, that I one million percent agree. You think with. that'll happen, or do you think we'll come out in the low four four two block and be like, oh yeah, but eventually we'll take the ball off and then we'll do our possession thing and eventually we'll open them up and we'll create a chance and that's how we'll get a goal because that's what it feels like watching this team and it worries me that that's the plan for when it gets real. I because that's the thing, it gets real, right? Tuesday, yeah. uh, June eighteenth, it gets real. It's a proper match for points. I think that Burhalter has talked the talk in the sense that he hasn't panicked in, in as much as he has said is not the time to panic we shouldn't be panicking i think the way he has approached these two friendlies have been yeah i'm not just going to throw on four attacking subs because we're losing one nil or three nil in a friendly yeah and i don't love that approach also most of them are injured also that and only have morris and holmes to throw on yeah i personally don't <laughs> enjoy that approach but yeah. i think that's what he is trying to do i would be shocked if he kept doing that in games that the united states was trailing or not doing well in the gold cup yeah because once you're into competitive games that do matter i don't think it's going to be against guiana but yeah say it's nil nil at halftime against panama because they are ultra bunkered if we come out and it's still Will Trap on the ball, putting his foot on it, looking around, dropping it to a center back. And the midfielders are all deep in opposition territory yes. that can't be found. I will go back into the fetal position, which is where I went <laughs> briefly during this game today. For the first time ever. Well, I guess the second time ever. Originally, when you were a fetus. Yes. It, it's, it, <laughs> it, was, it was the first time that I have, like, it literally, the uh, Roldan, Jordan Morris, like, lack of communication at the back post. And I think Morris ended up kind of saving a shot. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was the one that made me kind of lay down to the fetal position for a moment. Yeah. Oh, not the areola miss at the other post? I think that just made me cry. Yeah. That just, that just made is, me... Actually, I think at that point, I just laughed. Final thing worth noting. Yeah. Um, the, the, it did seem like the US got more chances towards mm-hmm. the end. We went back and looked at it. Venezuela opened up, yeah. didn't they? They took Rincon off, one of the central midfielders, and brought on Joseph Martinez. Yeah, they, brought on, they, brought on, they took off a holding midfielder, their like, defensive organizer, and brought on an attacker. Yeah. So they essentially opened up to the United mm-hmm. States. So a lot of the space we got, there's a lot of crosses coming in, a lot of uh, moving forward. Essentially, because Venezuela just weren't scared enough to have to defend the lead, and yep. were happily just trying out the four four two. That that's that more than anything. It's an insult, right? That's I just realized that yes, and that bums me out more than anything we've yeah. just talked about is that Venezuela ahead three nil. We're like, all right, let's let's bring on an attacking player to see what happens when the other team gets stretched. Like, it's definitely not worried about the United States fighting their way back in. It's just trying to do different looks because <sighs> you're playing. A weaker team. Okay. We need to take a bit of a break and no. from the US for a few days. Things are great. And we'll start thinking about this team again, what, a few days before the Gold Cup starts, but uh-huh. a few days before that Guyana game. We'll get a proper preview out. We'll know what to look for from Guyana and what we hope the US is actually going to do. We're going to take a break from this specific US national team because oh, we will be talking, well, them, but also we'll be talking about the team that makes people happier, yes. the US women's national team, a plenty this week. They play this, they play this Tuesday. They yeah. sure we'll do. We'll have a preview out of USA, Thailand on mm-hmm. Monday. And at right? least one review, but maybe seven. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right, before we talk U20s, mm-hmm. today's show is sponsored by Talisman Caps. Sure Our is. friends at Talisman's Caps in St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I got it right first time this time. I didn't pretend Minneapolis was a state. Are you a U.S. national team player who just played an embarrassing game on U.S. soil and isn't too proud, and when you leave the stadium, you don't want to be recognized? Put on a baseball hat. It makes it harder <laughs> for people to know who you are. And if you put on a talisman cap, it will look so nice with such like cool designs that people will be focused on the hat. You can walk through easily, and no one will notice. You'll be stylish and disguised. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if you uh, recently won the Champions League, mm-hmm. which none of the U.S. players did, but no. if you are one of those players, you could wear an LFC hat. You could. Yeah. You could wear the Liverbird five-panel hat that they've just brought back. 
if, if you're Muhammad Salah, you could wear the hat that has you on it. Yeah. That would be a weird thing that you could definitely go for. If you're Mia Hamm, you could wear the hat that has you on it. This is true. Yeah, there's someone to be Are we now of. just going to list players who could wear their own hat? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, who else is on there? There's a Valderrama hat. I mean, there's Br- a Perlo hat. Brandy Chastain, as I've said before. Yeah. You can get the Brandy Chastain one on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of Minnesota stuff, yep. obviously. Obviously. And there's a Cooligans one. And we a should give a one. shout to the Cooligans. They have their own hat with talisman caps. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and like I said before, if yeah. you want to look like a dope, wear, wear the Cooligans. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What if you wanted to get 20% off, Tyler? Well, first of all, they should be slightly less greedy because <laughs> you don't just get 20% off. That's not just a natural thing unless you listen to this show, in which case Yay! you do. Uh, because you can use the promo code TOTALSOCCER20 yep. to get 20% off any order over $35, $35 or more yep. at Talisman Caps. Uh, worth noting, $35 is the price of one cap. Yep. So, uh, yeah, buy a cap, get 20% off, uh, and then hide from the public if you're a U.S. national team player. <laughs> And you'll be supporting a proper soccer-focused independent business mm-hmm. um, in Minnesota. You will indeed. Yeah. Uh, so one more time, that's Total Soccer 20 to get 20% off any order of $35 or more. Thank you very much to Talisman Caps for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to today's episode for being done talking about the U.S. men's senior national team. Now let's talk about the U-20s. Yep, let's completely change track from one crushing <laughs> defeat to a South American team to another. I mean, crushing is a word. Yeah. I was just disappointing for Disappointing. Mm-hmm. It was the under-20 World Cup yeah. quarterfinal. It was. So there is that. That genuinely is an achievement to get there again. Mm-hmm. We keep doing it. Yeah. We keep not quite progressing beyond it. Um, yeah. I want to say, the, maybe one thing to note at the top of mm-hmm. this. Uh, so the USA lost 2-1. I'm, I'm sure most people will know this yeah. really. To Ecuador. This Ecuador team is better than you think. Yeah, right? 100%. This Ecuador team is the Venezuela under-20 team of 2017 that made the final there after beating the US in the quarterfinals. Yes. 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 I was hoping you you would f- take that all the way home and supposed to be like they're Venezuela and everybody would be like great <laughs> is that good? Yes. So it's not that we no. lost to an inferior team, we lost to a very very good team. We lost to the U20 South American champions. They are the U20 South mm-hmm. American champions. So yep. there is that and they had some very impressive players but we still lost. We did. And we have to talk about why we lost. We do. Should we um before we go big picture, mm-hmm. should we just talk about maybe um the specifics of the goals? Sure. Um I think so the U.S. conceded two goals with a Tim Weah equaliser in between, all in the first half. I would argue that the Cifuentes goal and the Espinosa goal mm-hmm. both result from a lack of defensive pressure when Ecuadorian attackers approach the top of our box. And I would nod. You so would yes. nod, yes. yes. So if you go back and watch that, it's a great strike from Cifuentes, right, for the, the very first mm-hmm. goal. Um, but Mendes lets him cut and then backs off. Chris Durkin comes charging in, and I really think he's about to, like, every time I see it, I think he's about to tackle Cifuentes. Instead, he gets into the Bradley crouch, right? Yeah. He gets into defensive crouch a few yards off of Cifuentes. And Cifuentes is shaping to shoot this whole time. The yep. minute he cuts on Mendes, he is, his body shape says, I'm shooting, I'm shooting, I'm shooting, I'm shooting. Yep. And he shoots, and no one pressures him. And I kind of wish that they had listened to uh, Travis and I preview this game for Top Draw Soccer, because one of the things I was pointing out is that Ecuador, and they did do this a lot, were very content to pass the ball at the top of the box and kind of probe until they thought maybe there was a through ball on, or they would go for like the overly elaborate like lifted ball. Yeah. But that was after the shooting chance wasn't on, because the first thing that they would do is look to shoot from distance. They <sighs> have scored plenty of goals from there. It's an easy way to catch defenses out, especially at U20 level, where maybe they're stretched or they're like kind of uh, committed forward or anything like that, Ecuador were happy to shoot from distance, and it feels like the U.S. prioritized getting back into their rough defensive like shape mm-hmm. and then deal with it. And while they were getting back into shape, Ecuador were shooting and scoring. Does this feel somewhat similar to our worries about the Berhalter team? Where there's, there's a focus on being mm-hmm. in a specific shape, even though that's not necessarily the best shape to be in for that moment. Yeah. 
there's yeah. there's a, an emphasis on <laughs> to that. To paraphrase Roy Keane, sometimes you just got to go make the tackle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that is also the other aspect of it. Is again, there are moments in this game where I didn't see the heart, the the fight, the willingness to be at fault. Yeah. That if you're a defender and you're backpedaling. There's a, t- there's a time when you think, eh, maybe I'll let this cross go in and then someone else can deal with it. But as long as I don't get beat for pace one-on-one or yeah, humiliated yeah. or megged, I'm okay with it. And I do think there were sequences here, especially in this first goal. Mendes and Durkin, definitely. Yeah. Neither of them took responsibility. Nope. Neither of them took defensive responsibility. No. Right? And, and I would say more so than Mendes, that to me is a concern for Chris Durkin. Because that's his job. Exactly. It's not Mendes' job, it's mm-hmm. Chris Durkin's job. And he's also involved in the second goal, I believe. Uh, and it, and it, it did feel like it was a weak game from him overall and brought about further questions uh, than I already had. So the second goal, uh, most people remember the was it offside, was it not offside? Yeah. Because what is it? Campana scare, squares it to Espinosa. Espinosa. Mm-hmm. And it does look like he's offside yep. because Espinosa is sort of ahead of the line. Yep. But the ball is behind the ball, yep. right? So mm-hmm. that's why after it, that long review, um, Espinosa was ruled onside. It's a really, correctly. it's one of the strange situations in which I think because Ochoa, the U.S. goalkeeper, has come out to make a play on the initial ball, or like he he like dove and then kind of tries to get back up and block the ball from Campana. Yeah, I think when the ball goes to Espinosa, there's no one in front of him, so it looks like oh. Like goalkeeper's off his line. There's no defenders there. He's definitely offside. But you're right. That one angle shows it. He is square with the ball slightly behind it yep. when it's played. So he's always onside. Oh, but the um, the scramble yep. is created by a platter shot mm-hmm. from distance, yep. which Ochoa doesn't touch it, right? It nope. hits the bar and comes back down. But it's the same thing again, right? Yep. It's an Ecuadorian uh, attacker at the top of the box. With room to shoot. It is. I can't remember, is it Gloucester or Tim Weah or both that should have closed him down? Uh, it's Gloucester who's kind of squaring him up. I think Tim Weah uh, slides across because the uh, Venezuela right back, whose name I forget. Oh, uh, it's Espinosa. There we go. It's Espinosa has made the overlapping oh, run. Goodness and gracious. Po- so yeah, you're right. Weah is pointing for Gloucester to go cover him, which I think is the correct call. But then Weah doesn't step to Platter, right? Uh, and, and then, then, then Espinosa cuts someone across. Someone doesn't track, yeah. Yeah, he loses Gloucester and Cater picks him up and it's mm-hmm. it's in that moment that he's free. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's tough on Gloucester because it's kind of like trying to on the fly slide over and then it's also trying to track a runner and then yeah. it's the ball coming off the bar and a kind of a scrum mm-hmm. so I have a harder Gloucester slides outside yeah. and Espinosa slides inside exactly yeah. so I, I don't I don't put as much fault on Gloucester there but yes I think the United States maybe should have been slightly more aware of the shooting potential of Ecuador oh, and so again there's just a theme here right yeah. of just not blocking shots at the top of mm-hmm. the box right um, there is a goal in between there is that Tim Weir scores he does and it's got some positives in it it and does I think it's got a lot of I would argue the three three of the big positives of this whole tournament are Paxton Pomacal mm-hmm. making things happen. Yep. Like this, we win a corner essentially because he hits this beautiful diagonal pass that splits some lines for Chris Gloucester. Chris Gloucester firing in a low cross for Sebastian Soto that yep. I really, really like. Oh, yeah. It doesn't find him, but you can see the idea there is oh, it doesn't slip this behind the defence and into the path of Soto. It doesn't find him because the defender has to make like a dramatic interception to put yeah. out for a corner. Otherwise, it absolutely is going to find him for a goal. So it was a good ball. Right? It was yes. a good, dangerous ball. Unless he shoots like Paul Ariola, in which case it won't be a goal. <laughs> so we win a corner kick. Mm-hmm. Corner comes in. I think Richard's header is like... Blo- Chris Richards gets to the ball. Yep. It's a Mendes corner. Richard's header gets to the ball. It pops up off an Ecuadorian defender. Yeah. And then the other big thing, I think, from this tournament is... Tim Ware just took his moments. Yep. Right? And this was a moment where Tim Ware was, all right, I'm smashing this left-footed volley. Yes. And he did. <laughs> and then uh, ran to the corner, celebrated with his teammates. And this also stood out to me is that they huddle up. Paxton Pomacall, you can see in the replay, starts trying to tell everybody. And it's a lot of like think, think, yeah, think. Yeah. I think Points it's a lot temples, of, right? Yeah, I think it's a lot of slow down. 
and everybody sort of the huddle starts to break up and Timothy Wea is like no 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 and then you see him like kind of reset the group repoint to his head and it does feel like he is like no 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 I am going to make sure that everybody is definitely listening and definitely on the same page and I enjoyed that he could have taken playing with the U20s as like a slight it could have been a well like I don't really care I should have been playing with the national team the senior national team and I wasn't yeah. given that opportunity and I really appreciate that he he took the opportunity he took the occasion to become a leader he was clearly looked to as a leader by this squad yeah. and I think he repaid that with goals in timely moments I actually think you saw progression throughout the tournament as well I would Agreed. argue in the first game against Ukraine yep. he was a little bit like selfish maybe mm-hmm. and like his version of leadership was I'm just going to make things happen. Yeah, and I think, you I, think he was, I think he was aware of. Uh, I am Timothy Weir. I played for the national team. I played yeah. for PSG. My dad's the president. Of Give me the ball. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> that probably doesn't hurt. The and confidence. a former Ballon d'Or winner. Also that. But yeah, I think. But you saw him take a leadership role in terms of mm-hmm. connecting play throughout the tournament as well. Yep. So yeah, I think this ends up being a good tournament for Tim Weir. Yes. Yeah. I, absolutely. I, yeah. I think his growth as a player, maybe even. Yeah, and given the dearth of options out wide for the senior national team attack, I feel like maybe he could uh, go play for them too. This is a shame, right? Even though he like, won't. He can't go and play on the Gold Cup roster Can now. I? Like, I mean, he was on the preliminary squad, and also you can't play U20 World Cup and then go play another tournament. It's just too much to ask of one player. But I, there is an argument that maybe he had more to gain from starring at a U20 World Cup because he's never been at one before, yep. whereas Josh Sargent has. Yes. Yeah. All right, I take, I take your point there. I would say that the three players who I think, if you were to ask me, which maybe you were going to, I'm going to jump the gun and say if there were three players in this squad who I think will are most likely to get national team looks the <laughs> you soonest. Set, you set yourself up with your own question. I am indeed. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, I would say I could that, just leave. I would say it would be <laughs> Timothy Ware, obviously. Yes. I would say Paxton Pomacall and I would say Chris Richards. Those are the three mm. that I thought seemed most ready for prime time. Yeah. Paxton Pomacall maybe third on that list because while he I think was a standout performer for the US in his work rate in like the way he would like play kind of incisive balls. I also saw moments where he took the bait and he would get into physical altercations with players or he yeah. would sort of you hit me so I'm going to knock you back, not recognizing that the result of that was then getting hit again by the opposite team. Would Paxton Pomacar have outperformed Georgi Mihailovic against Jamaica? I don't know because I think they're both playing in Major League I mean, Soccer. I that, think maybe I could have. So. <laughs> it, it, <it's, laughs> I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I don't know. I genuinely don't know because I'll be honest. I don't think I've watched enough of the fire to know if that role for what, what he was doing for the U.S. is similar to what he does for the fire. But I'm inclined to say it probably isn't uh, just because I think I said it's like – at least not the two tens type yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. So I think may- maybe, but I also think he is smaller in size, Paxton Pomacall, which I think is going to hurt him a little bit in, mm-hmm. in some of the national team looks he's going to get. Maybe he does better, but I also think there's an equal chance that, again, some of the deficiencies in the players around him would have led to an equally disappointing result. Same question. Paxton Pomacal, would he have outperformed Christian Roldan against Venezuela? No comment. No comment. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I think maybe. I think he might have held on to the ball better when it was played into him. That's... I think he might have a better first touch than Roldan. He might be Man. taking better care of the ball. He might be able to just take a touch out of pressure better. But I think we're getting into a dangerous thing where you see someone at U20 level and you see them do well at U20 level and you think, oh, he could just do that for the national team. And I think that might be a trap that we all fall into of of making that jump a little too far, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah, I would say that it's... Well, Pomacal has played for FC Dallas in MLS. So he's played against grown men comfortably. I mean, as has Cedillo. That doesn't mean they're going to play for the U20s. Uh, (laughs) 
yeah, that was frustrating to me. But anyway, uh, I would say, though, that, like, yeah, when I give my list of the three, it's, like, Timothy Weah, and then there's some distance, and then Paxton Pomacall okay. and Chris Richards. I wouldn't expect those national team call-ups necessarily soon. That said, maybe they get caught up tomorrow. We'll see. I think Richards still has a lot to learn. Like, mm-hmm. that thing where he was dragged out of yep. uh, dragged out of position True. against France. Like, I think, basically, there's a lot of promise there, especially... Yeah, wh- what, what national team defender would ever get drawn out against uh, an, <laughs> a, a, an opponent leaving space in behind? That never happens. <laughs> But especially Chris yeah. Richards on the ball gave me a lot of hope for the future. Mm-hmm. He's not someone that I think should go in the national team straight away. But um, I did see the news that he was promoted from the Bayern U19s to Bayern 2. Mm-hmm. So he'll be playing professional soccer, but at the third tier of the Bundesliga next season. So there's that. So it's a beginning. Yeah. Right? And we'll see where that goes. But there's hope there for a real, a really impressive future centre-back. Certainly. What about Sergino Dest? Mm-hmm. Good call. I forgot about Sergio Dest. Yeah, yeah he's, he is the other. I would add him to that list. I'll put him, I'll put it, it's a four man list now. Okay. Uh, because, yes, he has the like bad defensive play or lack of defensive play in the opener against Ukraine. It's a ball in the air, right? That he basically does not know how to take an angle or head a ball or challenge yeah. in the air. Yeah. Um, I would say. Which is a major problem. It is. I, I didn't see it a lot in the rest of the tournament. Nothing yeah. that stands out of my head. So I'm inclined to say that maybe that was just a one off first game of the tournament. He's scrambling backwards. I think it's more that other teams don't play like that. Like Ecuador played a certain style where they weren't just banging it to their left winger, they were playing through midfield, whereas Ukraine were hitting those long balls, and that's why he got caught out. Well, but I guess my point is, though, like against Ukraine, it's not as though they targeted Sergino Dest and beat him every single time. True, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's what I mean is like, I feel like that one moment is maybe looming large in the memory, whereas yeah. other than that, I felt like what we saw for him, uh, from him against uh, Diego Lenez from Mexico is what we saw a lot in this tournament, was hassling uh, attacking players without necessarily conceding fouls. Yes, yep. you concede some, everybody does. But so when the ball's on the floor and a left winger is dribbling at him, yeah. you have faith in Sergino Dest to come out with that ball, because I do as well. I do. I also have faith in him to close like five and ten yard gaps, but without fouling, but still manage to like cause enough problem that the defender or the attacker like, takes a heavy touch and plays it out of bounds. Yeah. So I thought he did a really, really good job at his positioning and that kind of tenacity, which I would like to see from a US right back. So yeah. I don't Also know. very dangerous going forward. Like mm-hmm. He loves a sort of I'm running at full pace. Not really. Here's my full pace. Yeah. Surge and a couple of stepovers and can drive inside and can hit a cross. Can hit a shot. Can hit a shot as we mm-hmm. learned against Nigeria or Qatar. France. France. Mm-hmm. France. Oh, beautiful. Um, okay. So again, thought experiment. Same mm-hmm. question. You replaced Nick Lima with uh, Sejuno Dest uh, in this most recent game. Do you get an improvement or not? No, you don't. I agree with you. I thought I thought Nick Lima was good at what he did. I'm, he just didn't you. do the central midfield role that we've come to expect. So I think that was slightly strange. But once you then go back and see it as he's just a like a standard right back in a four four two or whatever the heck it was at different times. Yeah, I thought he was fine. I thought he got forward. I thought he did his defensive job. I thought he fought for balls. I thought he won stuff. Nick Lima is probably another positive. Strange as it is to say. Okay, okay. So back to the twenties. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth thinking about quarterfinals. We're out. It's over. It's disappointing, etc. Yeah. But there are some players who had good tournaments. We talked about Tim Weyer. I think PSG will feel a bit better about him after this, or maybe some other team that might take him on loan has taken interest. That. Sergino Dest hasn't hurt his chances of getting more minutes with Ajax by this performance here, right? He is not. Chris Gloucester with Hanover getting relegated. Mm-hmm. I think his stock might be up with Hanover. Um, I don't like doing stock up, stock down in terms of how we feel about players, but I think their club situation and their professional situation, I think is what can really be improved by the U20 World Cup performances. I, 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 I have a hard time with that, to be honest, because I saw some people like making the point that like Sebastian Soto is in contract negotiations with Hanover, so whether or not he stays, scoring two goals in this tournament, like that's going to turn some heads. I don't know if it will. I know there's lots of people scouting these games, 
and Soto scored goals, and that's what you got to do as a forward. But it's it's not necessarily as though he took those chances and like beat a defender and made something out of nothing. Like he scored some poachers' goals, and that's good. Yeah. I don't know if Hanover are going to look at that and be like, we got to lock this kid down long term. Yeah, so, it's more like he's good at running in behind. Yeah. He times his runs very well, and he seems to have a knack for finishing. But yeah. there's a lot missing in his game. Yeah, so like I don't if, think I, if I was negotiating a contract with him, I'd be like, all right, we'll pay you an extra ten grand a week, but you got to learn to hold the ball up. Yeah, exactly. So like, I think he he certainly didn't hurt his chances of getting more minutes with Hanover or getting more looks from another team. I just I don't quite go the route that I've seen some people go of like oh he's going to get paid now from Hanover it's like well first of all Hanover are probably not going to be a team that's going to be paying too much yeah. but also I'm not sure that he does All right, but yeah and Chris it- Gloucester I'm with you though I think he he did enough to maybe make Hanover think he could start at left back for us and yeah us a good or team. at least we could we could blood him next yeah. year we can just drop him in and mm-hmm. give him a go like I'm sure they've got a left back yep there somewhat happy with <laughs> I guess they're relegated to maybe not sure <laughs> um, okay I'm, I mean what else maybe Tab Ramos do we think Tab Ramos gets another cycle does he even want another cycle I that I don't know you'll have to ask him that yeah. um, I, I have mixed emotions about Tab Ramos I, we've, we've interacted with him before he's a very nice fella yeah. um, I have some concerns about the way he constructed this roster I would say notably that uh, when Ayok and Yola goes home with injury he brings in Julian Araujo yeah. um, Araujo Sarillo did not play at all McKenzie I, came injured and never looked fit Matt Real played the very first game and I don't believe played again mm-hmm. or if he did he only played as a substitute so four players right there in a 21 player roster who either didn't play or were injured or didn't seem like they were kind of of the standard required and without being too harsh Bubka Keita, uh, Richmond yep. Kicker's lone player, so mm-hmm. you know we're a little familiar with him and kind of have fun yep. feelings for him, did not have a great game against Ecuador Mm-mm. by some distance. There's an argument that if McKenzie had been fit, yep. if you, or if you take in a different centre-back who was fit, mm-hmm. then that player could have played instead of Instead of yeah, because right? he still had the distribution issues that we've kind of seen from him in this tournament. He had a few giveaways. He had a few questionable choices when on, on the ball. And yeah, it does make you wonder. Given the consistency of those mistakes, would a center back who was fully fit yep. have replaced him in this game? And then there's a question of Surreal. You hinted at it earlier, mm-hmm. but um, it's just a defensive midfielder who starts in Major League Soccer. Yep who was on this roster mm-hmm. and didn't play one second in nope. this tournament. including when Chris Durkin was suspended against yeah. France. And Brandon Cervania starts as a number six, even though he's not a number six. Yeah. Um, and it felt like that was in order to get more kind of ball-playing midfielders I- involved in there so that you don't quite go so defensive. But again, I, I guess that to me seems like you're kind of changing your entire approach. It doesn't seem as logical as I would have liked it to be. And it also means that you've brought, of the players that we just listed who weren't fit, I believe, or who didn't play, I believe there's they're... Also, there's also Ledesma and Ulysses Yanez who yeah. both came into the tournament not fully fit as yeah. well. But in terms of the ones who like got very few minutes or were carrying injuries to the extent that they couldn't play, four of them are defenders. And, mm-hmm. like, or all four of them are defenders. Yes, Yanez and Ledesma, but, like, they still played. And I guess I only say that to say that when the United States is chasing near the end and really needed something... I, like like having Justin Rennix and Juliana has come on, that's great. But was that enough? We probably could have used some more attacking options. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, it's only a 21-player roster. So that's what I'm saying. You are yeah. slightly limited, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so then... But uh, do you see how that makes my point? Because yeah. then why bring four players who either don't play or aren't fit enough to play? Yes, oh, I understand. All of whom are defenders? So it's almost like you have fewer players, so yep. you should maximize your roster. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so here's my take on Tab Ramos, which I think I've shared on the show before, which is... I think he's very good, maybe as the technical director, and yep. building a culture around the U20 team that yep. all the players seem to buy into. I still don't fully trust him in terms of roster construction, as you just talked about, and just in-game management. Yeah. Like I would argue that, say, in this Ecuador game, 
Uh, Mendes was having a terrible second half and should have been subbed out for Ledesma way, way, way earlier. I think it came in like the 60th or seven, maybe 70th minute. Mm-hmm. It should have been like half-time or 55th. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the, the fickle nature of the soccer gods that there's a chance that, say, Ecuador go to the final. Don't even win, but go to the final. Yeah. Then the narrative to this to this tournament is the United States lost to an eventual finalist and along the way knocked out France and made it out of their group and made it to the quarterfinals. That's all good. Or maybe Ecuador don't, and you flip that around and you say the United States were once again eliminated in the quarterfinals after somehow getting past France through kind of fluke moments as opposed to a team performance, barely getting past Qatar yeah. and losing to Ukraine. So in terms of the actual tournament performance, yeah. it's a loss to Ukraine – because probably the wrong lineup selection, yep. like Tim Ware at centre forward and all that, just didn't work mm-hmm. at all, right? It's a really good win over Nigeria. That's True. the highlight of the tournament yep. in many ways for mm-hmm. me. Um, it's a not convincing win over Qatar at all. Mm-mm. It's a lucky win against France. It yep. really is, right? We easily could have lost that game. 100%. Yeah. And, 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 and then we, it's a defeat to Ecuador. We've talked about this many times, but I'll say it again. It, it was not as though Tab Ramos... Like, it's really confusing because he brings on Justin Rennicks, for example. Justin Rennicks scores the go-ahead goal France against game. France. Yeah. So that's that. you could see that as a positive substitution. But I also, that's him being scrappy and getting on the end of a spilled ball from the goalkeeper. It, it wasn't Except as though... Except the death shot, right? Uh, yes, yeah. exactly. It was not necessarily like the U.S. bringing on these attack, like attacking subs and changing the formation and overloading one side and kind of probing vulnerabilities and then exploiting those vulnerabilities. It felt a bit more like, uh, it's time for an attacking sub and you're an attacker, so you go play. Yeah, like, yeah. that's definitely oversimplifying. Is for Ledesma? I think that was yeah, the I think so. Yeah. I think so. And Yanez uh, for, I would assume, Conrad De La Fuente. Yeah. But yeah, again, those, those sort of substitutions feel a bit more rote than they do like on the fly reacting to what the other team is doing. Okay. Anything else to say on the U20s before we wrap this up? Because we've got a lot more to talk about. Uh, we've got a second show to record today. We sure do. So I'll yeah. just say no. Okay. So uh, US men's national team, we'll be back with more uh, before the Guyana game. Well, I'm sure we'll have some thoughts. I'm sure there'll be some news. The U20s, this team no longer exists. So I think that's, that's a thing worth like, talking about, right? We've thought about this team. We've watched them in the CONCACAF Championship. We've watched them through this tournament. It now gets broken apart and never exists again. Yes. Unless some pieces come back together for the U23s. All right. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stand here. I'm going to be uncomfortable. And I'm going to say, thinking about the next U20 team, and I put myself in a position of like... 2021 World Cup? Sure. And thinking about like, here's your new U20 squad and some U17s coming up and Ta- Conrad De La Fuente is still there. Tab Ramos is in charge. That bums me out. It does. So, yeah, I think so. So I, I, I think to Why? your initial question, I think I would rather see Tab Ramos go to more of a technical director role. Yeah. I would rather see somebody else come in to change it up. Because, I mean, and that is what like top-tier teams do. If you consistently get knocked out in the quarterfinals of tournaments, then if you want to increase that level, you can't keep doing the same thing and hoping it changes. We may regret... So I think I'm with you just because mm-hmm. I'm almost like I'm just ready for a change. Yeah. But I think... That's where I am with it. That's what I mean when I say I'd be disappointed. Isn't the US record of going to the quarterfinals so many times in a row the best in the world? I think we've got like the best, the most quarterfinal finishes of like consistent quarterfinals. So we're the best at getting knocked out in the quarterfinals. Yes. Yeah. Is that what we want to be? Like, Is that well, our for goal? For example, England won it in 2017, right? Uh-huh. Didn't qualify this time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. a lot of teams are like spotty records like that and we've just got this consistent quarterfinal finish. And I wonder if we might look back at that if, after we make a change and be like, oh, we used to make the quarterfinals all the time and now we're out in the group stage. Let me put you on the spot then. Yeah. I'm going to require a, a direct answer to this one. Do you think the United States maybe. should have gone farther than the quarterfinals in this tournament? Yes. There's my answer. That, that, that's why I say it then. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think that that was... We should have won the group for one thing. Yeah. yeah. And so I do think that I look on it as more of a, yeah, they made it to the quarterfinals, 
but it still to me is ultimately a disappointing result. Yeah. Okay, I think that's a good point to close it then. Yeah. So I will just say, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me about all kinds of US national teams today. Tab Ramos, I'm sorry, Daryl, once you fired and right back at you, buddy. I said that. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for listening. I only promoted to full-time, just, just technical director. <laughs> thank you for listening. Full-time Tab. <laughs> and we'll talk to you again soon. 